chapter 5 and on into chapter 6. I'll be taking something of a broad brush approach to the passage this morning. Uh, There's probably enough content in these verses for several sermons, but we'll be uh, working our way through it in broad strokes this morning as we continue our series, Love Your Church. And this morning we're thinking about the, the theme of caring, caring. There's a powerfully, a powerfully moving moment towards the end of the movie Return of the King, uh, the third movie in the Lord of the Rings series. Uh, Frodo Baggins is carrying the Ring of Power up Mount Doom to destroy it in a lake of fire. If you haven't seen the movies or read the books, you'll just have to take my word for it when I tell you that's, that's a big deal. Okay? That's very, very important as far as the story of the Lord of the Rings goes. Uh, It's been established earlier in the story that only Frodo can carry the ring and no one else. But the task has proven incredibly difficult. Uh, Frodo, at various times in the story, he is attacked, he's taken prisoner, he's even tortured in his efforts to destroy this dreadful ring. And right at the end, as he's climbing up the mountainside, (coughs) he believes that he can't go any further. He's exhausted, he is tired out, he is weak, he cannot go on. But his loyal friend, Samwise Ganji, is with him and has been with him all his life, all through this journey. (coughs) And seeing Frodo Frodo at breaking point, Samwise Ganji hoists him up onto his shoulders and says, Come, Mr. Frodo, I can't carry it for you but I can carry you. The ring was Frodo's alone to bear, but Sam was there to bear up Frodo. And that is really a perfect picture of what Paul says that Christians are to do for one another in the church. Galatians 6 verse 2. And this is really our key verse this morning. Galatians 6 verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What does, what does Paul mean there when he says the law of Christ? Well, Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We'll think more about those words this evening, God willing. But they are really, of course, at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Christ, to be a Christian. And in fact, as you read through the New Testament, you see those words, one another, repeated time and time again. Uh, one writer lists at least 20, 20 times that the, one another, the words one another appear in the New Testament. They include the following. Love one another, John thirteen thirty four, as we've just read, as well as several other texts. Instruct or teach one another, Romans 15 verse 4. Care for one another, 1 Corinthians 12 25. Serve one another, Galatians 5 13. Bear with one another, in other words, be patient with one another, Ephesians 4 verse 2. Do not lie to one another, encourage one another. Do not speak evil against one another. Confess your sins to one another. Show hospitality to one another. 
And I might take the opportunity to preach in some of these one another's in some of our next few evening services if I have opportunity. But this morning I want us to focus on the one another that we have here in Galatians 6 verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. And like the picture I gave you of, of Frodo and Sam, the idea here is not necessarily that we can remove each other's burdens. Sam couldn't remove the, the ring from Frodo. But that in the local church we should at least get some help to carry those burdens. Some of you today are perhaps bearing the burden of anxiety. You're worried for yourself or your family, perhaps simply because of the busyness of, of this particular juncture in life or perhaps because of one particular situation that you're in. Some of you are bearing emotional burdens. You've come through something recently and it has fundamentally changed how you feel, how you think, and it, it's taking time for you and those closest to you to adjust. Some people bear the burden of loneliness. Some bear the burden of chronic or terminal illness. Some people bear the burden of depression. Some people bear the burden of grief. Some people bear the burden of loved ones unsaved. And it's not that we can walk into a worship service or other church gatherings and suddenly our burdens just disappear. It's not even that we in the church can provide all the answers for each other as we bear our burdens. But we are called, friends, to bear, to carry one another's burdens, to come alongside one another and to help each other to manage those burdens. I want us to think, first of all, this morning about the power for burden bearing, the power for burden bearing. And quite simply, friends, the power to bear one another's burdens comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Bearing one another's burdens or, or living out any of the other one another commands of Scripture, it takes supernatural power. It takes supernatural power. It won't come naturally to us. In our culture where it's all about the individual, and getting by on our own steam, we sometimes feel too proud or too insecure to tell someone else that actually we could do with some help. The story is told of the great boxer, Muhammad Ali. And on one occasion, he was on a plane and they were about to experience turbulence. And so the, the announcement was made and the flight attendants went round. And one of the flight attendants said to Ali, Sir, please fasten your seatbelt. And Ali replied, Superman don't need no seatbelt. The flight attendant shot back, Superman don't need no airplane. Please fasten your seatbelt. You see, but there's a, there's a bit of that pride in all of us, isn't there? That I, I, I don't need or, or I shouldn't need anyone else's help. I can get by on my own. And that attitude is actually not only pride, but selfish because underlying it is the notion that well everyone else should be able to get by by themselves as well i can do it why can't everybody else but if you're a christian not only has jesus saved you from the punishment that you would otherwise have faced for your sin he's also given you power the power of the holy spirit to make us less and less selfish and self-reliant and proud 
and more and more filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with compassion for others that Jesus Christ himself had. And that's why right before Paul tells us to bear one another's burdens in Galatians 6.2, he tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. Look at chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, Paul says, there is no law. Paul's saying if you're truly a Christian, these are the kinds of things that more and more will mark your life. This will be the outward tangible evidence of the inward work of the Holy Spirit. Notice also that right before Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit, he describes some of the marks of the the natural selfish sinner. Look at chapter 5 verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, uh, divisions, dissensions, envy, and and drunkenness, and so on. Those are all marks, friends, of someone living without the power of the Holy Spirit. And notice that almost all of them are inherently selfish. Selfish. Sexual immorality is ultimately not about love as our culture would try to claim, it's about lust. It's about who I want and when I want them. Fits of anger only come about when I don't get my way. Divisions only arise because I disagree with you and my opinion is more important. And so to live without the Holy Spirit, friends, is to be living a fundamentally selfish lifestyle. That doesn't mean that non-Christians never do good things. Of course they do. Uh, on some occasions, some the good deeds of non-Christians would put some Christians to shame. But non-Christians do those good things despite the selfishness that generally directs their lives and is in their hearts. But a dramatic example of that this week, the very popular singer Adele, who's back on the scene after a few years away, Uh, She's released a new single, part of a new album, and in a widely quoted interview this week with Vogue, she said that her new album would explain her recent divorce to her young son when he's older. She said, I wanted to explain to him through this record why, quote, I voluntarily chose to dismantle his entire life in the pursuit of my own happiness. Just an utterly selfish way to act And that selfishness, friends, is the seeds of it are in all of our hearts, whether we're famous, world-famous pop singers or not. And in contrast to that, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And notice that almost immediately after Paul says that, He says, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Don't let the chapter divisions in our English translations cause you to miss the connection. Always important to remember the chapter divisions are not part of the original inspired word of God. They were added in later. They're very helpful, but sometimes they make us think that one chapter has nothing to do with the next. It's just a few lines after that Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit that he says, Bear one another's burdens. 
Friends, what that means is that the work of the Spirit, the fruit that the Spirit produces in us, is fundamentally about making us better equipped to care for other people. The fruit of the Spirit ultimately shows up in our relationships with one another. A lot of Christians today are very keen to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And those gifts are important. And in fact, I think it's next Lord's Day. uh, We'll be thinking about those gifts. But a lot of Christians really get very obsessive about the gifts of the Spirit, particularly the miraculous gifts. And they're not so keen to talk about how the Spirit enables us to help people in very ordinary, unremarkable ways. Tony Moretta, in his chapter in this, in the book, uh, he tells the story of an inner city pastor who had a woman in his church come to him and say, Pastor, we need to see more signs and wonders. We just haven't seen enough signs and wonders in our church. The pastor responded, Ma'am, over there sits a lady who has been evicted from her apartment with her children. I would consider it a sign and wonder if you would take them into your house to live with you for three months. Marita says, Don't overlook or undervalue how the Spirit works in us to display practical love to one another. And that's really what Paul is saying here. He's saying that having the Holy Spirit is actually far more to do with what we might see as the mundane, ordinary, not so spectacular parts of our lives. Being more patient with your spouse or your children. Showing gentleness to your employees or your employer or your patients or your students. Going out of your way to show acts of kindness and goodness for people even when it costs you time and effort and money unbeknown to them. Philip Ryken in his commentary in Galatians says, True spirituality is not an individual quest for fulfillment. Rather, the life of the Spirit, the life of the spirit flourishes for the sake of others. For the sake of others. The fruit of the Spirit, friends, is not about some individual quest for you to go off to go off on by yourself. It's about all of us being empowered to love one another and to bear one another's burdens more readily and frequently. And so we need to read both of these lists in Galatians chapter 5, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And we need to consider which most accurately describes our lives. And we need to pray realizing that power is available to us from the Spirit to be fruitful and to bear one another's burdens. The power for burden bearing. Secondly, Paul Paul then gives us some examples of burden bearing. Some examples of uh, burden bearing. He doesn't just state what we're supposed to do, bear one another's burdens. He then gives us some examples of what that might look like. Uh, And the first of them is restoring the wayward. Restoring the wayward. Look at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, that means you who see it, you who are perhaps more mature in the faith than they are, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. The word Paul uses there for restore is actually a medical word. 
Uh, it, it, it's like resetting a bone or, or a dislocated shoulder or elbow. They have to be reset. They have to be put back into place. The thing about resetting a bone, of course, is that it's painful. I've never suffered a broken bone, thankfully, but I would imagine that it's somewhat painful to have it put back into place or to have a dislocated shoulder uh, put back into place. But it has to be done. It has to be restored and reset. Paul says that's what it's like when a fellow believer strays into sin and someone who knows them and loves them sees it happen and needs to speak to them and needs to lovingly and gently correct them. Two church members, for example, fall out or a church member begins living a lifestyle that the Bible clearly does not permit or a family member is just growing more and more ill-tempered or impatient or selfish and someone in the, who's suitably placed, who knows them suitably well enough, needs to correct them, needs to restore them. And you don't have to be a church elder to see someone straying into sin and to reach out and in love seek to bring them back. And it's tempting when we see people in those situations to think, well, it's none of my business. You know, they'll, they'll come to their senses. Who am I to judge? They could probably throw a few things back at me that I've been guilty of in the past. I don't want to make too much of a fuss. What if they get annoyed at me? But we can't make those excuses, friends. A painful reset might be necessary. And if they're really a believer, they will thank you for it in the end. Because otherwise they are bearing a burden, the burden of a sin that will cause them to stagger and fall. And so they'll thank you in the end for bringing them back. But notice also Paul says in verse 1 that we're to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. See, he's applying here the fruit of the Spirit. It's the same word. Uh, part of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. And gentleness is needed, he says, when we restore a wayward brother or sister. He also says in verse 1 that as we restore the wayward, we should keep a watch on, our, on ourselves. He says, keep watching yourself lest you too be tempted. This is how easily prone to pride and sin we are, friends, that no sooner have we noticed the sin of someone else and sought to point it out to them gently and lovingly that we could then get very proud and, or we, we, we could think, oh, you know, look at that. Can you believe they fell into that sin? Or, or maybe we could even fall into that same sin ourselves. And so Paul says, restore with gentleness and restore with humility making sure that you don't fall into pride in the middle of it yourself. So this is one example of bearing burdens, friends, to come along and to restore with gentleness and humility those whom perhaps have strayed into sin. Parents discipling and, dis and disciplining little children, we must do it, albeit we do it gently. Church youth leaders, camp officers, Sabbath school teachers were to correct and to guide gently husbands wives friends in this church or friends elsewhere when we when we have to restore each other we're to do it gently restoring the wayward is one part of bearing one another's burdens but as well as uh, restoring the wayward another example of bearing burdens is sharing what we have with God's servants sharing with God's servants look at verse 6 
One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Very simply, friends, Paul is saying that in all ordinary circumstances, the local church should enable their preacher to give himself full time to studying God's word so that he can then preach God's word from the pulpit and house to house and wherever else he has opportunity. This is a principle laid down as well by the Lord Jesus himself. Luke chapter 10 verse 7, referring to those who proclaim the the good news of the gospel, Jesus says, the laborer deserves his wages. Now there are situations, perhaps, for example, when a church is being planted or uh, if a a preacher is working in a particularly impoverished community or, or country, there are situations where a preacher might have to find some other form of part-time employment uh, until the church can pay him a full wage. But generally speaking, a church should provide enough that their preacher and teacher can give himself full time to his task. And that's, of course, for everyone's benefit. And so that he not be burdened with having to find additional support for himself and his family. And let me assure you, as your preacher, I do not take it for granted. I do not take it for granted that I'm part of a denomination and serving a congregation that takes this seriously and that values and cherishes the men God sends to preach. I do not take that for granted. And I'm well aware that there are churches, maybe even churches not too far from here, where if there were less than 60, 50, 40 members, it would just be assumed, well, they can't possibly support a man full time because the giving of that congregation would not be enough. And so let me say thank you for the provision that you've made for me to give myself full time to studying, teaching, preaching God's word from the pulpit and elsewhere. You are, you are bearing a burden. You are taking responsibility. You are sharing good things so that others can hear good news from those that God has sent to preach. And of course, it's good that we, that we do that, not just for our own local pastors, but perhaps as we have opportunity as well for those on the mission field, uh, some of whom perhaps don't have the security of a stable month-to-month income. Those seeking to plant churches, those seeking to maintain impoverished churches, Uh, Those maintaining churches that are a bit weak numerically or financially, like the church in Cyprus that we heard about and that we're making an appeal that we support. And this doesn't just have to take the form of financial gifts. Paul says here, all good things. Uh, This can include all kinds of things like practical work on buildings, hospitality, care packages, providing teaching resources, covering the cost of travel or expense. The local church, friends, is to bear those kinds of burdens so that God's word can be proclaimed, so that God's kingdom can be extended. This is also why in our denomination we have our our mission and ministry targets for each congregation. And so that's another way of bearing one another's burdens, of sharing good things with God's servants. And then the last example that Paul gives, and this is more general and it overlaps with what we've said, but simply doing good deeds doing good deeds look at verse 10 so then as we have opportunity let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith 
And the word there for doing good is a very general word again. The, the list of what this could refer to is, is really endless. And notice again that Paul is applying the fruit of the Spirit. Goodness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. And the word there in the fruit of the Spirit list, it means a willingness to be generous. A willingness to make time to sacrifice for the needs of others. And again, the possibilities here are endless. Sponsoring a child through a trusted Christian agency or fostering a child or adopting a child, making them part of your family. Visit a missionary family. Visit our housebound or care home residence more regularly. Make some meals for a new mum. Give a regular gift to Bible translation work or persecuted Christians. Serve in one of our wider church committees. Meet regularly with a less mature believer or with a non-Christian and lead them through God's word. The list is endless. And we might be tempted to get out of some of this by thinking we're too busy. After all, Paul says there, as we have opportunity, let us do these good things. And we might think, well, I just don't have that many opportunities. Well, actually, friends, what Paul means there by the word opportunity in the original, it means the appointed time. The appointed time, as in now, today. There's another thread running through this passage, which I haven't had much time to develop. But you'll notice as you run your eye over it, that Paul talks here about sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. And Paul is saying here, friends, that now is the time to sow. Now is the time to take every opportunity to make the best use of the resources and time that we have to bear one another's burdens and to do good to one another. To all people, and especially, he says, the household of faith, the, the, the church. Tony Morita says, The cross shows us that Christian love involves a passion that leads to action. Jesus didn't merely say he loved us. He demonstrated it. He went to the cross. He poured out himself. He gave up of himself. And so, friends, in whatever small ways we can imitate his example, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we've seen the power for bearing one another's burdens. We've seen examples of bearing one another's burdens. And finally, and more briefly this morning, I want us to think about the encouragement we have here for bearing one another's burdens. The encouragement. One of the things that might hinder Christians from bearing one another's burdens and uh, from doing other good deeds, one of the things that might discourage us is the subconscious thought of, well, what difference will it really make? Uh, what's the point? We live in a culture that values short-term success, quick and obvious results. And the reality is that most of the burden-bearing that God will call us to do will not yield quick and obvious results. The new Christian that we meet with may well make mistakes, will make mistakes. They might need to be restored more than once from sins that would shock us and appall us and frustrate us. Needy people that God sends us to provide for can be very time-consuming and energy-sapping. 
the financial or practical support we send to a missionary or a church planter might not produce tangible fruit for years, for decades, if at all, as far as we know. And whether we're in full-time ministry or not, the temptation would be to think, well, what's the point? But look how Paul encourages us in Galatians 6 verse 9. Chapter 6 verse 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good, he says. For in due season, in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, he says, as we have opportunity, let us do good. Again, Paul is saying, friends, now is the time to sow. And he reassures us that there will come a time when we reap. There will come a time when we reap. That time might not be for many years. It might not even be until the day Jesus returns and we enter into the kingdom of God and we see far more clearly than we will have done up until then what God has done with the good things that he's given to us to do. But friends, that time will come. It will come. And so we need to keep an eternal perspective as we bear the burdens of others and as we do good to others. We need to avoid the shallow impatient short-term success syndrome of this world and keep our eyes fixed on the world to come and let that motivate us as we bear one another's burdens and seek to do good to all people. Philip Ryken in his commentary told the remarkable conversion story of a man called Luke Short who lived in what was then the colony of Virginia in North America in the 1700s. Luke Short was converted at the ripe old age of 103. He was sitting under a hedge one day when he happened to remember a sermon he had once heard preached back in England, his homeland, by the famous Puritan preacher John Flavel. And as he, reco- as he recalled the sermon, Short asked God right then and there to forgive his sin through Jesus Christ. He lived for three more years and he died then at the age of 106. And when he died, they wrote on his tombstone, Here lies a babe in grace, aged three years, who died according to nature, aged 106. But here's the really remarkable part of the story. The sermon that Short remembered had been preached 85 years before. 85 years. Riken says nearly a century had passed between the sermon and the conversion, between the sowing and the reaping. But a man reaps what he sows, and at the proper time Flavel reaped his harvest. Imagine the joy that John Flavel experienced in heaven when that man appeared in heaven someday. And John Flavel saw the fruit of that seed that was sown. Friends, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up in doing good and bearing one another's burdens. And just in closing, some of you may have been listening who are not yet believers. You've never yet put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Luke Short did under that hedge in Virginia. I didn't tell his story to assure you that you can wait till you're much older to repent of your sin. Most of us aren't going to see 103. Some of you might not even see 53. 
And you have a burden on your back that nobody in this church can bear for you. The burden of the guilt of your sin. You can't shake it off. You can't bury it in the ground. You can't pretend it isn't there. And like a weary hiker trudging up a hillside with a rucksack, your sin is weighing you down. And if someone doesn't deal with that burden of your sin, your sin will one day damn you and doom you because it will have to be punished by God forever in hell. Nobody in this church can bear the weight of your sin, but Jesus Christ can bear the weight of your sin. In the famous story, The Pilgrim's Progress, it was when Pilgrim arrived at the foot of the cross that the burden on his back finally rolled away. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, The Lord has laid on him, that's on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. On the cross, friends, Jesus stretched out his arms and he took upon his shoulders the full weight of his people's sin, the punishment that that sin deserved, and he lifted the burden off our backs. And if you need to today, you can trust him to do the same for you. Psalm 55 verse 22, we'll sing it in a moment. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. And having surrendered our sin to Christ, one of the most beautiful and wonderful ways that he then sustains us is by providing us with a church family that increasingly, lovingly, humbly and gently learns to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Amen.